I'm going to share a little bit about um, some of the things that God has been convicting me about in terms of missions, some of the things that he's been putting on my heart um, in terms of what is really what missions is really about and what is at the core of this missions work that we're involved with. Uh, we'll start off just looking at John 3.16, and uh, a lot of you probably know that by memory. It's a very familiar verse, but I'll just read that, and then I'll pray for us. John 3.16 is where God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Uh, why don't we pray together? Uh, Father, we thank you that you love the world, God, that you are passionate um, about reaching the lost with your message, God, that you're passionate about saving your people in this world. We pray that as we look into your word this morning, God, that you would ignite that same passion within our hearts, Father, that you would um, give us a little bit more of your heart for this world, God, that um, our heart may be aligned with yours, that we may, um, I mean, our heart might, our heartbeat would beat with yours, God, that we would uh, love the things that you love and uh, we would be on the same mission, doing the same work that you are, Lord, that you would call us um, in a deeper way, God, to join the mission and the work that you are doing in this world. God, we thank you. Pray that you would um, speak to us individually this morning, God, that you would um, call us into a deeper relationship with you and a deeper involvement in the work that you're doing um, here in Orlando and around this world. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've been talking with uh, Pastor David a little bit about your church and learning a little bit more. And we've been so encouraged to hear uh, your participation in missions work and um, hearing about your house churches that are um, sponsoring different missionaries and praying for different missionaries, uh, praying for different parts of the world. I'm um, hearing about short-term teams that are going out and even sending out uh, and supporting full-time workers um, from this church. And we're really just encouraged and blessed by that. And I uh, just want to talk a little bit this morning about, you know, why is it that we do missions? Why is it that we participate and involve, we're involved in missions? Maybe you can even kind of think about that question for yourself. You know, why is it that you are involved in missions uh, to the point that you're involved. Um, what are the, the, the reasons for that? Um, I think what are, I was just thinking about some reasons that we might be involved in missions that we might feel compelled to do that. Um, for one, maybe because it's uh, trendy or exciting. You know, a lot of churches have um, some kind of short-term mission program these days. It seems like everyone's kind of um, doing something with missions, which is awesome, which is great. But I think a lot of times maybe we kind of um, kind of just go along with the flow and say, oh, everyone else is doing it. So, you know, we should do it, too, when we get excited about it. Uh, but maybe sometimes that excitement kind of goes away after a little while if if we're just, you know, doing what everyone else is doing. So I think that's one reason we might have. Um, another reason is because of the need. And, of course, there are huge needs out there. Um, about two-thirds of the world, two-thirds of the people in the world have never clearly heard the gospel presented about one-third of the world um, is unreached with the gospel, as we talked about those unreached people groups. Um, there's so many needs out there um, in terms of poverty, need for clean drinking water, health care, all different kinds of needs that we, can, that we see and that we might be compelled um, to be involved in missions work based on that, those needs. Um, another reason uh, thought of is because Jesus commanded us to go. So, which is a pretty good reason, of course. You know, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. He gives us that command. And as our Lord, we need to follow him. So I think those are all, you know, some of those are very good reasons to be involved in missions. Uh, but I think really at the core of why we are involved in missions, I think there's a, a deeper reason. And that is that missions is at the very heart of who God is. The missions is at the very heart of who God is. That God, when he 
sees the world. He loves the world. He, his heart breaks um, for the lost, that God is on a mission to save the lost. And as people who love God and have a relationship with God, as we grow to know him, as we grow to love him, that we become more like him. We begin to share his heart. We begin to become passionate about the things he's passionate about. We begin to join him in this mission of reaching the lost. And I think that's really at the heart of why we do missions, because God is on a mission to save the lost, and he's calling us to join with him. Um, and in that process, not just to do that work, but also to grow in our love relationship with him in that process, to become more like him, to share his heart. Go on to the next slide there. Um, let's think about some misconceptions of missions. And I don't know if you guys, it seems like you're pretty pretty informed and educated about missions at this church. But I know for me growing up, I had a lot of these kind of ideas that, you know, there are the missionaries, the people who go, and there are the senders who send out the missionaries. And you might have this idea that missionaries are kind of like the special Christians who are um, on the front lines doing the real work, quote unquote. Uh, the senders are kind of the normal Christians who um, are important, you know, but but kind of the normal Christians who, who give and pray. So we might have these kind of ideas about uh, missionaries versus senders. Uh, so just thinking about what does the Bible say about that idea? And we'll look at uh, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his own and only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So in this verse, we see a sender and we see a missionary. So who's the sender in this verse? Who would you say? Right, God the Father is the sender. And who's the missionary? So Jesus is the missionary who goes out as God sends him. Um, so who is more important, God the Father or God the Son? So be careful how you answer that. But what do you think? So of course, of course, neither are more important. They're equally important, but they have different roles um, in this mission of God. That God is the Father who's sending out the Son. Jesus goes as the missionary um, to do his work to save the lost. And um, so what we see is that mis both missionaries and senders are joining in God's mission, equally important with different roles. And I think as missionaries and as senders, we both need to have God's heart and his passion in this involvement in missions work. So first, let's look at uh, God the Father as we look at what does it mean to have the heart of a sender, to have the heart of God the Father um, as we participate as senders in this missions work. The first thing we see is that God so loved the world. So God the Father, his motive is a motive of love. So talked about as God sees the world, as he sees the lost, his heart is filled with love, with compassion. His heart is breaking for the lost, um, wanting to bring them to himself and to um, people to come to know Christ. And I think as senders, we need to have that same heart that as we send out missionaries, it's not just you know writing a check or saying a prayer, but that we have God's very heart um, for this world, that we love the lost, that we um, have compassion for those who, who don't know him and their heart, our heart is breaking with God's heart for the lost. So God so loved the world, and out of that love, he gave his one and only son. So we see that God, uh, we see this aspect of sacrificial giving, uh, that God the Father, out of that heart of love, he doesn't just give um, a little bit, he doesn't just give, you know, comfortably, but he gives everything that he can give. He gives his most precious, uh, most valuable thing that he can give, his only son, uh, Jesus Christ. You know, for me, I was thinking about... Um, you know, if it came down to it, could I give my life so that another person could be saved? Or could, I, could I sacrifice myself so that one more person could be saved? 
And I think, you know, by God's grace, you know, maybe I could do that. I think I could say that, yes, I would give my life um, if one more person could have salvation in Christ. Um, but then when I think about my children, you know, could I sacrifice my children so that one more person could be saved? And I think for me, that's, that's kind of a whole different area. That's, that's really tough when I think about that. I don't know if I could do that um, really apart from God's grace. But that's exactly what God did, that God, out of that love, he gave everything that he could give sacrificially. He gave his one and only son, um, Jesus Christ, to, to die on our behalf. I think that's the heart of a sunder. I mean, he did that so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life, um, so that the lost could come to salvation in Christ. So this is, this is the heart of a sender. A sender is someone who, with a heart of love for the world, is willing to give whatever it takes so that more people would come to know Christ and would come to the kingdom of God. Uh, secondly, we'll look at uh, Jesus, God the Son, the heart of a missionary. Um, so we look at God the Father as we see you know, what it means to have the heart of a sender. Um, we'll look at Jesus. Jesus was, he is our Lord and Savior, uh, but he is also our model for missions. He's the model missionary. Uh, Jesus was the great missionary. He traveled the greatest distance from heaven to earth. He crossed the greatest cultural barrier from um, becoming God to becoming a man. And he paid the greatest sacrifice, giving his life so that we can um, have salvation in him. Look at uh, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Let's see what we can learn from Jesus as we think about what does it mean to be a missionary, to have the heart of a missionary. It says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even to death on a cross. So the first thing we see here about Jesus is that he came with an attitude of a servant. He did not came, come to be served, but to serve. Um, verse 7, it says, He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness, he humbled himself. So as we do this, as we go uh, on missions and as we do missions work, uh, we don't go with an attitude that we somehow have um, something more than the people we're going to, to minister to, that we're um, better than them. This kind of idea that we're up here and they're down here and we're kind of there to teach, um, to minister out of our great resources to, um, to give to these people who are so needy. But I think instead it's the opposite attitude, that we go with an attitude that we're down here and the people that we're going to reach are here, and that we're there to serve them, um, to share God's love through serving in whatever ways that we can find to serve, and ultimately um, serving them by sharing the message of the gospel and um, sharing the love of Christ with them through our lives, through our words, and ultimately seeing them come to Christ. So we go as servants with humility, um, with that kind of attitude, with that kind of heart, as Christ did. I think the second thing that we see is uh, Jesus had the attitude of a servant um, but the method that he used was a method of incarnational ministry. So we talk about the incarnation as Jesus, um, second person of the Trinity, took on human flesh and became a man. We see that there in verse uh, second half of verse seven. It says, "Taking on the very nature of a servant, he became ma he became being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man." So Jesus became a human. He lived with us. He ate our food spoke our language, wore our clothes. He experienced pain and suffering and hunger as we do. Um, as Jesus became um, 
human living with sinners. And through that, of course, ultimately to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. But I think in, at the same time, um, as he did that, he was able to share God's word and demonstrate who God is in a way that we can connect with, in a way that was um, contextualized to us so that we could see and understand who God is. Um, God as a man, the way that he lived, um, the truth that he communicated in that process, uh, we were able to connect with that and understand who God is and come to understand and know this message of the gospel. I think as missionaries as well, um, we need to be incarnational in our ministry. We need to, as much as possible, to um, to learn the language, um, to eat the food, um, to live with the people that we're ministering to, um, to become like them as much as possible, to rub shoulders with them, and to really connect with them um, in the deepest way that we can within their culture so that we can um, live out the gospel within that cultural context. And we can also communicate the message of the gospel within that context. So we, we take on the method of Jesus um, in our missions work, this incarnational ministry. And uh, we have a picture here, I think. So this is uh, me in the country that we're going to, some uh, incarnational ministry there. You can see I'm wearing the, uh, you know, kind of looks like a skirt. It's called the longji. And uh, this is the way that, that men dress over there. And, uh, you know, so I went there on a short-term trip uh, just for about a week. And uh, one of the days I decided to wear the longji and uh, look pretty silly. I'm kind of showing a little too much leg there. I don't know if, uh, I, if I tied it wrong or if, you know, there wasn't enough material, but um, I felt kind of silly because I knew it didn't look right. It didn't look the way that everyone else looked. But, you know, just out of a heart of wanting to, you know, connect with the people, I tried to do that. And, um, you know, everyone, they just loved it. You could see their hearts just open up. And um, it just felt like even just that attempt, even though it probably I probably messed up with that attempt of trying to connect with them on that level, I think it really meant a lot to them. It really opened doors. Um, so I think that's what we need to do, That this incarnational ministry. I want to share this uh, illustration uh, that my pastor shared at, at our home church and is really helpful for me. Um, so he's saying that one day he was playing basketball and uh, so he's playing basketball on one court and on the other court he saw um, there's a group of guys playing wheelchair basketball. So if you've ever seen that, it's pretty amazing just um, just seeing the talent that they have you know, in wheelchairs and uh, playing basketball. And uh, at one point the ball rolled away to the other court and um, he saw this one guy he got up out of his wheelchair and walked over to get the ball and to bring it back. He was like, oh, my goodness, amazing. This man, you know, it's a miracle. He's healed. He can walk. Uh, but, of course, he realized that, you know, this man, he, he was fully capable of, of using his legs, of walking. Um, but in order to play wheelchair basketball with his friends, um, he decided, you know, to sit in the wheelchair and use the wheelchair. Um, he decided to, you know, put aside that, the ability that he had to walk in order to, um, to have fellowship with his friends and to play with them. And so I think that's exactly what Jesus did, that he, Jesus is God. He has every divine right. Uh, he's worthy of worship and praise and honor. Um, he, he put that aside and became a man. He, um, in a sense, he limited himself from all of his divine, divine abilities to um, become one of us, to connect with us, to serve us, to demonstrate the love of God, um, the love that God has for us. And if Jesus, our Lord, would do that, would humble himself like that, it would go to reach us, how much more that should we do that? Who are who are unworthy? Um, who have really have no rights? How much more should we um, humbly go to those who are lost, who need Christ, and to with an attitude of a servant um, connect with them on their level and communicate this message of the gospel? And so we talked about uh, the 
the heart of a sender, God the Father. We talked about the heart of a missionary in Jesus. And finally, we'll talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in missions. Uh, God the Holy Spirit is our power in missions. Look at Acts 1.8. I actually went down the hall to the bathroom and I saw this verse um, on the wall, you know, like right above the bathroom. So it's like, wow, this, this is a pretty important verse of this church. So kind of putting up all over the place. So I thought it was uh, maybe a divine appointment there. But um, so Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, so here Jesus, as he's about to ascend to heaven to go back to the Father, he gives his disciples these instructions as he goes. He says, um, wait for the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses. Um, so a question we might want to ask is, you know, what exactly does this mean? Did the disciples not have um, the Holy Spirit before this point? Or what, what exactly does that mean? And I think, of course, um, I believe the disciples were, you know, saved. They were born again, redeemed. They had the indwelling Holy Spirit, um, that new life within them. But here Jesus is talking about a new special kind of empowerment, a new role of the Holy Spirit um, that he would give to the disciples, to the church. Um, so what was this? This was an empowerment. Uh, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So he's sending power. Uh, why is he sending this power? Let's say for gospel ministry, because you will be my witnesses um, through evangelism, telling people about Christ, through discipleship, um, helping people to become followers of Christ. This empowerment is for gospel ministry. And where is that ministry to happen? I would say uh, both locally and, and globally. It says in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, so in Jerusalem where they were, also to the surrounding uh, area, countryside of Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, to the farthest parts of the earth that are unreached. So Jesus here, he's talking about the special empowerment of the Holy Spirit that would come um, to enable his disciples for gospel ministry, uh, both locally and globally. So who is this power for? Who is this, empower this empowerment available to? Uh, it's available to us, to the whole church. Um, if you look at a um, little diagram here, so you can think about this role of the Holy Spirit um, empowering people for, I guess you could say, word ministry or gospel ministry. You can think about it as kind of a, a relay race where um, this baton is being passed uh, from person to person. So in the Old Testament, we have the Old Testament prophets um, that God would give the special empowerment. The Holy Spirit would come on them. They would be empowered to speak the word of God. Um, as God would, would give them the Holy Spirit for this special role of speaking the Word of God. And as we you know, look through the Old Testament, you could see there were, from prophet to prophet, this baton was being passed, um, this role of the Holy Spirit working through the Old Testament, up until we get to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was the last in line of these um, Old Testament-style prophets, where he was the last to have this special empowerment of the Holy Spirit, um, empowering him for this, this word ministry. So after John the Baptist uh, came Jesus. And if you could think about um, the scene where Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, if you think about Jesus as he's getting baptized, uh, the heavens opened up and God the Father says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And it says the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. And um, just think about what does that mean that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus? And I think what was happening there, I think um, the picture of that scene there is 
that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this role of prophet. It's in a sense, uh, John the Baptist is kind of passing on the baton uh, to Jesus, um, probably not in the usual way, but in the sense that Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of this role of prophet. He's the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. And we see the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus, um, saying that Jesus, he is the, the last, the ultimate fulfillment of this, um, this role of prophet um, with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit on him. So what does Jesus do? He passes the baton to the church, not to a specific kind of special individual, but to the whole church, that this empowerment of the Holy Spirit is available to all of us, this empowerment for gospel ministry, to bring the gospel um, not only here locally, but also to the ends of the earth, that Jesus has passed on um, this empowerment of the Holy Spirit to the church. This is what we have available to us. Uh, So how do we receive that empowerment? How can we um, access the power of the Holy Spirit to do this work of missions? I would say through prayer. As we pray in dependence on God uh, with faith, that we have access to this power of the Spirit um, to equip us, to strengthen the church for this mission's work. Uh, So after Jesus ascends to heaven in Acts 1-8, we move on a few verses to Acts 1, verses 12 to 14. Uh, the disciples, it says, they returned to Jerusalem, and when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. They all joined together constantly in prayer. It says the disciples are going, gathering in this room, waiting for the promised power of the Spirit. They're constantly in prayer. Um, throughout that period, it was probably 40 days that they were gathered in that room, um, praying, waiting on the Holy Spirit, waiting on this empowerment to come. Then moving on to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. As they're gathering in this room and as they're praying, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated on them and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So here's that fulfillment of that promise that Jesus gave that you will receive power and you will be my witnesses as the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples on the day of Pentecost, that they're empowered and they go out into the city. They begin to preach the gospel. They begin to share the good news. Um, and in that, that phrase here, it says they began to speak in other tongues. Um, they began to actually speak in foreign languages and other languages that they didn't know. Um, and people that were in Jerusalem gathered from all over um, the world from different areas coming to worship in Jerusalem they were able to hear the message of the gospel in their own language. So we, we see here the fulfillment of this promise that the Holy Spirit came to empower the believers for this gospel ministry. And even from the beginning, it was um, a cross-cultural phenomenon where they're speaking different languages, where God is bringing um, people from the ends of the earth to come and hear this message um, in their own language. And this is the power that we have available to us as a church, that we can receive um, this power of the Holy Spirit Um, as senders, as goers, um, as missionaries to do the work that God has called us into in missions. So as we wrap it up here, um, just thinking about God's mission, that God is on a mission, that he um, is passionate about reaching the world with the gospel. He's passionate about bringing um, his lost children home. Thinking about how might God be calling you to participate in that work that he's doing to join him in his mission. Maybe there's some specific ways that he's already been calling you to do that. Uh, maybe there's some ways that he's putting on your heart right now, ways that he might be calling you 
join him in his mission, whether it's through um, through sending, through going as a missionary, through a short-term trip, whatever whatever ways that God might be calling you to join with him in his mission. And I think one thing uh, that we can all do, no matter who we are, we can all pray. Um, and I think this is actually the most important work in missions is prayer, that as we, as we pray um, for the nations, as we pray for his workers, um, that's the real work of missions, that God is using those prayers to release power, to open hearts, um, to advance his kingdom to the ends of the earth. Let's look at Matthew 9, 37 to 38. Uh, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. <clears throat> so Jesus doesn't say, as he looks at the harvest, as he sees the need, um, so many lost without Christ. He doesn't say immediately to go, but he says, begin with prayer. Pray earnestly that God would send workers, that he would raise up workers for his harvest field. Um, praying that God would send workers to Ecuador, to Saudi Arabia, uh, to China, to North Korea, to Burma. Um, praying that God would raise up workers for his harvest field, even here in Orlando, that God would um, do that work of raising up those workers, um, that his kingdom would be advanced. As we think about this, uh, thinking about God's heart for the world and how as we grow in our relationship with him, as we get deeper into our relationship with Christ, we begin to share his heart, that have his passion for the lost, that we um, become senders with the heart of God the Father, that we become um, missionaries and ministers with the heart of Jesus Christ, that we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to do his work. Um, maybe we could just bow our heads for a moment and uh, close in prayer. So just take a minute to think about things that we talked about this morning, thinking about God the Father who sent his Son out of his love, out of his passion uh, for the lost, who gave all that he could give, who gave um, extravagantly, generously, giving his only son so that the lost could come home to Christ. Thinking about Jesus who um, came humbly to become one of us as a servant, um, taking on human flesh, rubbing shoulders with sinners, speaking our language, eating our food, doing whatever it took so that he could communicate this gospel message and demonstrate this message in a way that we could understand that would impact us. And thinking about this amazing empowerment of the Holy Spirit that is available to us as a church so that we can do this work. It's not about us, but it's about him um, changing us and working in us so that we can be faithful um, as we complete this task of bringing gospel to the ends of the earth. I'm just thinking about for a minute how God might be calling you um, to join him in his mission. Maybe it's growing to have his heart for the world, to be, have the heart of a sender. Maybe it's um, in your ministry, more humility, deeper heart for service, love for the lost. Uh, maybe it's through prayer, praying that the Lord would raise up workers here in Orlando and to the ends of the earth uh, to bring the gospel message. It takes a minute to pray and just respond as God might be recalling you to respond. And um, and seeing what God might be putting on your heart in terms of joining him in this mission uh, to reach the lost with the gospel of Christ.
you that you so loved the world, Lord, that you so loved Orlando, Florida, that you so loved uh, the United States, that you so loved North Korea, China, Burma, God, that you so loved the world, that you gave your one and only son, that you gave all, that you gave everything that you could um, give out of your love so that we might be saved so that we might be rescued that we might have a relationship with you and i thank you that um this work is not finished god that you are on a mission that you are uh, moving forward god building your church here and around the world god we thank you for the privilege Lord, that you've called us to join in your mission um, not just to do the tasks that you've called us to do but to share in your heart um, for this world god we pray that you would um, forgive us for our lack of love god for our lack of um passion um, for the lost, we pray that you would grow in us um, a deeper love, God, a deeper sense of compassion, God, a deeper um, drive, God, to do your work, God, to complete the task that you've given us to do. And as that happens, that we would grow to share your heart, God, and um, to share in the work that you are doing in this world. Pray that you would bless uh, this church, Harvest. God, I thank you so much for the work that you are doing here. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are um, participating in your work, God, who are praying, God, who are giving, who are um, going. And I thank you so much, and I praise you for the work that you've been doing here. I pray that you would continue that work, God, that you would um, raise up workers from among this body, God, who would um, be more like Christ, God, who would um, take this gospel message um, in their, to their schools, to their neighborhoods, um, to their workplaces, God, and to the ends of the earth, God, that you would um, continue to work powerfully in this church, God, that you would be glorified, that you would be pleased. And we thank you again, God, for your love for us. Um, thank you that you are working in us, God, and that you are working through us. We love you, Lord, and praise in Jesus' name.